0: Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. We're here the week of November 7th, 2023 through November 9th,
1: 2023. Not November 10th. No. Look at us. We are But we're recording on the 10th. It's a Friday and we are recording. I have not failed us this week. (laughs)
0: Before noon, we're I know recording. before
1: noon. And the only reason that we've done this is because apparently and I appreciate the Nebraska Supreme Court maybe listening to this podcast and deciding to drop the opinions on a Thursday to make sure we got them out. I mean, that is just so, it's so <laughs> gracious. That's one of the most gracious things. It's actually. a little deference that they just it said, is. you know, oh, hey, we got to make sure they get it on. You know, Friday. they've been having some rough weeks. <laughs> It's clear that they couldn't <laughs> handle the time change. You know, I don't know what's what's up with this. guys. I had an
0: idea on the time change. So here's what we should do in the time change. Okay. Every day in October, you uh you fall back two minutes. Oh, I like that. So it's a, it's a steady fallback. It's a steady fallback. So by November 1, you're like, oh, I guess it's dark now. Yeah, how did I lose all this time? Oh, what oh, happened wait. with this hour? And because we're all on our phones anyway, there's no setting clocks back or anything. It's That's just true. like your phone just automatically. Like the government could
1: be stealing minutes from you. That's a Conspiracy. We should oh, start with wow. people. That's actually genius. But the part is now it gets me into this kind of time warp where I'm actually thinking about how time is just a, a man-made construct. Oh, don't do that. And if we started taking away two minutes, it, it, uh, it, you it becomes... You and me both, a, man. Oh, man. Now I'm... Don't get me started on time. Yeah, we we don't want to turn this into another conspiracy podcast. There's (laughs) enough of those. I think we should probably just stick to our Nebraska Supreme Court
0: reviews. Speaking of time, uh, let's go through our ex parte summary here real quick. What do you
1: got, Carson? All right, so we start with State v. Harms. Denial of evidentiary hearing competency. I have In Ray Interest of
0: DH, Mental Health Firearm Restriction rec- Reconsideration, APA Standard of Review. I think that's all we'll Wow, that was a mouthful. It is. I know. It's not a very good haiku.
1: Yeah, that's all right. Okay, yeah, I think that's all we have. All right, get started with uh, the first one, Carson. All righty, jumping straight into State v. Harms. This is an appeal from a denial of an evidentiary hearing at a uh, post-conviction relief and then a petition of for, for further review on an appeal from the Court of Appeals. And so basically what we have happening here is that uh, Mr. Harms is arguing that he was denied uh, due process because he was not competent when he entered his uh, pleas uh, for a plea-based conviction and that the district district court made an insufficient inquiry into his competency at the plea hearing and so here basically the court of appeals had went through and determined that harms had made uh, generalized allegations about his psychiatric history alcoholism depression um, other uh, essentially uh mental issues that he had been having during this time in a in a history of suicide attempts um, but that he had failed to plead any exculpatory evidence that would have been uncovered through investigation that would tie his medical issues to a lack of competency as um, defined in Nebraska precedent so they said okay yeah maybe there's something uh, here but you don't get an evidentiary hearing on it um, and then there's this long-standing issue um, of basically when um, you can use a motion use a motion for post-conviction relief um, to review uh, issues again as Far as on an evidentiary uh, basis. And so the Supreme Court goes through uh, multiple cases that deal uh, with precedent on these post conviction actions uh, when a uh, defendant could have raised something on a direct appeal and failed to raise it, um, or when they had a chance to appeal and had not appealed it. And so here, Uh, The interesting issue is that Harms had had uh, a direct appeal in this case, uh, but he had failed to raise this issue on uh, this direct appeal. And so they make a pretty narrow ruling, uh, but basically say uh, here that because Harms uh, had the chance to Raise this on a direct appeal and did not raise it on the direct appeal, uh, he now doesn't get to raise it and get another evidentiary hearing on this issue. Um, and so they found that uh, the convictions and sentences um, affirmed in the direct appeal uh, could have also, this issue could have also been raised there, but he did not raise this competency issue. So then they briefly deal with uh, when a person is competent, uh, do a review of the record, so they do the same review that the Court of Appeals did uh, without an evidentiary hearing and found that there was nothing in the evidence to demonstrate that he did not have the capacity to understand the nature and object of the proceedings against him. Um, and to comprehend his or her uh, or his own condition um, in reference to the proceedings and to make a rational defense, so the the competency standard in Nebraska. Um, and so they found that he did have that understanding based on the record. They found that the denial of the evidentiary hearing uh, was not an error, and they affirmed uh, the decision of the district court and the decision of the Court of Appeals. All right. All right. I have in Ray, interest of D.H., alleged to be a
0: mentally ill and dangerous person and versus the mental health board of the 10th judicial district this is a mental health um situation um, dh was uh, had some mental health issues back in 1995 and was uh you know uh, part of the mental health board and under their guidance back in that time and because of that his restrict uh, his firearm access was restricted decades later he um was removed from the mental health board and he was asking for the restrictions on his firearm access to be removed the mental health board denied uh, that removal and reinstatement of his uh, access to firearms and because there's some procedural things that it has to go through the mental health board to look at those to see whether there's (coughs) certain standards that are met in order to um, remove those restrictions they denied that they said the standards were not meant uh, were not met and the individual here appealed that uh, agency decision to the district court for review the district court here initially looked at the uh, opinion or order and uh, determinations of the mental health board and initially affirmed uh, what they did and in the language of the order affirming what the mental health board did The district court used words like uh, deference and no abuse of discretion to describe the standard of review that it was using in order to review the agency decision. The agency decision under the APA is um, de novo and the, you can there's certain case law that clears that up a little bit and says that it's de novo but you can you know understand that they looked at the witnesses and they had some opinions that were made if there's some questions about whether somebody's veracity was uh, accurate or not or you know th- something that they maybe they found more credible than others there's some uh, deference in that regard but here the uh, court initially said that it provided significant deference to the agency decision and um, basically affirmed the agency decision for no abuse of discretion when that was the language that was used in that order now the individual here dh filed a motion for reconsideration and basically said hey actually the standard here is de novo Uh, you need to look at all the evidence uh, your honor and and try and decide based on the record that's in front of you um whether there was sufficient evidence or not so it needs to be a new kind of review of what the agency did and the um the court later said you're right I, I need to look at it this under this standard of de novo and you know under the standard of de novo that i'm going to look at here you should get your firearm access back and i'm going to remove those restrictions through this order and the district court did it removed those restrictions and the Mental Health Board um, appealed that decision. And the only issue, and I think this is important with this case, because I can really see this case being used more broadly, uh, it, it's a very narrow issue that the, the Supreme Court is addressing here. The only issue is that the district court used the wrong standard and it was because it used the wrong standard, it was an abuse of discretion or, to use that wrong standard in it giving deference to the Mental Health Board so that's what the mental health board is saying is saying the court used the wrong standard when it decided to provide the firearm access to dh so um the district court here was affirmed Um, and there's some great clarifications here on de novo review and agency orders and what that looks like um for De novo review and how much deference is actually given to the agency and I think this is kind of a micro of, of some broader Federal law and agency deference questions that are going on right now But however since the only issue on appeal was the standard of review There's uh, no case law here whether the facts are sufficient to restore firearm rights So it's not an actual uh, sufficiency of evidence argument that what that was not an assignment of error here so it's just whether the standard of review is right and the uh, court ultimately says here the Supreme Court says that the district court did ultimately apply the correct standard of review and district courts you know if, if on a motion for reconsideration if you want to make a different determination if you you know you want to reconsider something that's what you should do and you should you should change that if you think it needs to conform to the law by changing the standard of review so this is a very narrow decision um that i assume will likely be uh, argued broadly saying hey look at these facts this is um you know the standard in order to get the mental health board restriction removed And that's not really what this case stands for. It just stands for the standard of review here because they didn't look at the sufficiency of evidence to do that. But, you know, argue away, I guess.
1: Always fun when you have those that you can extrapolate. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think we're done with the Nebraska Supreme Court. We are. All right. Jumping to the Court of Appeals. The first case we have is State versus Amin, and this is an appeal from a district district court order uh, denying a motion for post-conviction relief without an evidentiary hearing. And the issue here was Amin had entered uh, to a plea-based conviction. Uh, He then is uh, trying to proceed in a post-conviction proceeding um, with an evidentiary hearing. And the issue here is that Uh, the evidentiary hearing generally, or that a uh, voluntary plea generally waives all defenses to a criminal charge. And so the only issue here was uh, if there was an issue with ineffective assistance of counsel. And in a means case, most of the allegations with respect to his trial counsel uh, were or failed in this case, and were affirmatively dealt with or refuted by Amin's assurances to the trial court at the time of his plea, uh, when he indicated uh, that he understood the things that he was giving up, he understood the things that were being waived. And interestingly enough, here there was an issue uh, about trial counsel failing to file a suppression, and the supreme or the district court had uh, actually discussed with Amin. Uh, The understanding that he was waiving uh, the suppression hearing and had made a finding uh, that a motion to suppress uh, would not have been successful. And so um, as a matter of law, uh, trial counsel cannot be ineffective for failing to raise a meritless argument to the trial court. And so since all of those things happened, uh, the district court uh, did not err um, in denying the motion for post-conviction relief without an evidentiary hearing and the Court of Appeals of affirmed
0: okay I have state v eratacunda this is uh, an individual here the defendant was um, convicted after a jury trial of three counts of first-degree sexual assault of a child the issues for appeal were some motion limiting kind of issues regarding um, uh, 403 kind of evidence that was uh, put forth by the state sufficiency of the evidence and ineffective assistance of counsel during the voir dire and other uh, arguments. There were some uh, anonymous text messages that were um, threatening a witness that were completely anonymous that were objected to over foundation. Not everything you could object to them on, uh, but objected to in foundation. And they were received by the court, which, I don't know, that struck me odd. Um, the defendant testified here. I'm not going to get into the facts. I'm not going to get into any of that. Um, defendant testified here... Um, and ultimately the jury convicted him which is why he appealed and he was uh, 30 to 50 years in prison there's some good uh you know, discussion here of the voir dire exchange between um, the state and the defendant's counsel regarding cultural or excuse me cultural uh, awareness and, and whether there's a cultural issue regarding a defendant, whether somebody might have some bias or something um, for a cultural issue, and whether that caused prejudice to the defendant here, um, just based on that discussion. And um, the text message here was an abuse of discretion to receive them um, because it was never um objected to on all the grounds that those anonymous text messages could be objected to it was just objected to on foundation so the convictions and sentences here
1: were affirmed for mr aradacunda okay next case we come to is state versus williams and this is an appeal from a district court order denying a motion for absolute discharge on speedy trial grounds, and so the big issue here, as with most speedy trial cases, uh, are whether the delay was a result of a defendant's actions. And uh, here, basically, Williams had had multiple um, continuances that were granted, um, and so Williams on appeal presents a issue that he was not advised. Uh, by the state or uh, of his counsel uh, that he was waiving his right to speedy trial at the time that these continuances were made and there is kind of an interesting law chunk here uh, from another state versus williams case which talks about the fact that a uh, continuance made uh, without a understanding that a request for um, this continuance will extend beyond the speedy trial uh, can be grounds for re- reversal here um, they delineate, though, that in all of these cases, Williams's continuance requests were not pushing uh, his trial date uh, beyond the speedy trial date, and so there, uh, was, there needed to be no uh, statutory advisement that his speedy trials were, trial rights were going to be uh, implicated or uh, that it re- required any kind of admonishment uh, by the court. And so because all of the continuances and the extensions here uh, were requested by Williams or his counsel, uh, the extension past the six-month speedy trial date uh, was a result of those continuances. And therefore, uh, the district court did not err in denying Williams' motion for absolute discharge, and the Court of Appeals affirmed.
0: All right. I have Titus Vicente. This is a civil pro se legal malpractice claim based on a 2018 plea by uh, Mr. Titus to first degree sexual assault where he was sentenced to 15 to 20 years in prison. Um, It's a civil claim for damages on the professional negligence of his attorney for uh, malpractice. The issue here, um, there were some affidavits that were received after a summary judgment was moved by the attorney and the affidavits were received by the court and the summary judgment procedure was implemented. Um, Titus complains, uh, sorry, the summary judgment was granted in the district court and then Titus appealed. Um, On appeal, he alleges multiple issues regarding the summary judgment procedure and the fact that he wasn't appointed legal counsel for his civil claim and that um, he shouldn't be required or there was no uh, requirement that he actually uh, demonstrate actual innocence. The court, actually, this is, you know, it's got a good law chunk here. For the summary judgment procedure in Nebraska, especially regarding criminal um, decisions, remember butter case from uh, a while ago? I do remember butter case. We all remember butter case. And innocence is the underlying crime with which the plaintiff was charged. So you have, that's one of the elements that you'd have to prove uh, in order to do a legal malpractice claim in a criminal um, context. And I thought this was interesting. Um, The Rodriguez court noticed that actual innocence factor serves the dual goals of ensuring that convicted criminals are not given an opportunity to profit either directly or indirectly from their criminal conduct and encouraging the representation of criminal defendants especially indigents so that's good and then it goes into clark v shields and all those uh, summary judgment procedures again so i i we're, we're taking what the Supreme Court has said is the procedure for summary judgment motions, we're implementing those in lower courts and we're applying those in the rest court of appeals. So we got a good law chunk here on the proper procedure for summary judgments. And uh, obviously the um, requirement of, you know, appointing legal counsel in his civil claim was denied um, because there's simply no authority to do that. And the court of appeals here agreed with that.
1: So everything was affirmed, the summary judgment was affirmed, and that should be the end of that case for now. Okay, next case we come to a State versus Hundley, and this is an appeal from a sentence imposed after a termination from DUI court. Uh, on appeal, uh, Ms. Hundley is alleging that um, the sentence was excessive and that she received ineffective assistance of counsel. And so as far as the excessive sentence claims, they were within the statutory ranges, the appropriate factors were considered. The interesting kind of law chunk piece I found in this was that Uh, Ms. Hundley was arguing that she had not had adequate opportunity to review her her PSI or pre-sentence investigation uh, called a pre-sentence report on appeal because that's all you get is the uh, report. So she had argued here that she had not had adequate opportunity to review this, but the interesting piece uh, is that basically – The burden is on the defendant uh, to show at the time of trial that they did not get to review their PSI. And so they are supposed to tell trial counsel, that I did not have an opportunity to examine the PSI or review it. And if a defendant does not do that, uh, they waive their right to uh, review the PSI by not notifying the trial counsel uh, that they have not personally reviewed uh, the PSI. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It puts the burden on uh, the defendant as an individual to notify the court that that has happened. In this case, uh, the court had directly asked, uh, have you had the opportunity to review the PSI? And the defendant had had, um, affirmatively responded to that and then also um, said that there were no additions or corrections. Um, And so here the the – record was pretty clear that the defendant had had that opportunity. But even it sounds like in a case where the record is not completely clear, again, it is on the defendant themselves to say that they have not had an opportunity uh, to review that. Um, And then there were a couple of other uh, issues that were dealt with, uh, a sequestration issue of witnesses, and then um, the encouragement to uh, enter a plea and participate in the DUI court. Um, And here they found that there was uh, no sort of prejudice uh, that could be um inferred from uh, either a failure to advise on this issue or uh, the failure to sequester witnesses and therefore the court of appeals affirmed okay so that's interesting so um
0: i think the the best practice then would probably be the court asking the defendant directly whether you've had
1: an opportunity to review the to review the psi which uh, Now come to think of it, I think, uh, you know, practicing criminal law, you hear fairly often, but I guess I had never really thought about that being a direct issue on appeal um, and actually having an affirmative response and creating a record of the defendant saying, yes, I've had the opportunity to review the PSI.
0: The defendant, not the... Not the counsel. Yeah. It's It's the the defendant themselves. Who has to inform the... The attorney, trial court. Yep. Or, well, through the, through the attorney. So the, defi- I'm, I'm thinking of how this would go. So you ask the defendant, Hey, have you had the opportunity to review the PSI? And the defendant goes, what's a PSI? And then you go and explain, well, it's this big thing that you were supposed to look at with your attorney with your before. Attorney, yep. And do you want to do that
1: now? And he, and he or she would say, uh, yes, I'd like to. So then you have half it a recess and then have a recess, or, go do yep, it. Or continue the sentence saying, yep. And then you'd have to do that. But yeah. the interesting piece again is putting that burden on the on the defendant. Yeah, to I say, think that's interesting.
0: Yeah. All right, um, do you have uh, Peacock streaming services? I do. Well, then you're going to enjoy a Nebraska Husker football game tomorrow. Absolutely. 11 a.m. 11
1: a.m. Nice, beautiful kickoff. Yeah. You going down to have a hot chocolate?
0: No, I have uh, other obligations. Oh, well, that's too bad. The two personal obligations, but. Um yeah, I'll be, well, I have three children. So do I guess you have it,
1: Peacock? I do have Peacock. Do you need to
0: borrow my Peacock? No, no, I have Peacock uh, solely to watch 30 Rock episodes.
1: Ah, yeah, see, I've always had it because of The Office. Yeah, see,
0: I, I, once they got that, it's fine. I do think
1: I'm spending more than
0: cable, though. Yeah, uh, I
1: would agree with, with, with all that. all my streaming services now. Well, and I still have cable, so I'm one of those. Ooh. Yeah, I know. They got you twice. Yeah, I thought you still had cable. Well, my wife has cable. I don't oh, have cable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So your house... <laughs> Your household's really spending more than cable. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't really. Uh, the
0: Golden Bachelor doesn't really appeal to me, but apparently you need to watch that live, I guess, yeah, or something. You can't watch that. that uh, yeah,
1: one day later on Hulu, uh, the the cats out of the <laughs> bag. I mean, that's the problem.
0: I guess I don't know. Anyway, I'm not a Golden Bachelor. No,
1: I'm
0: a silver-haired. Not yet, guy. silver-haired. Uh, yeah, uh, silver-haired uh, fox. <laughs> Let's not go there. Um, okay, so Peacock
1: streaming football game. Who do you have tomorrow? Nebraska to cover the spread. I would agree. What's the over-under? I don't know what the over-under is. I know the spread is, I think, three. Oh. I think it's Maryland by three. Yeah, they will. Okay.
0: Well, that's it for uh, Point 2 Law Review, brought to you by Anderson, Klein, Brewster, and Brandt, with offices in Kearney, Holdridge, and Minden. Go back to episode one to uh, review the disclaimer. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, everybody.